The name of the show is Flat Black Plastic. You're listening to it on MutinyRadio.fm. Keep on listening. Wanda Coleman was born and raised in Los Angeles. She's given over 180 public readings and can be heard on Freeway Records' spoken word trilogy, Voices of the Angels, English as a Second Language, and Neighborhood Rhythms. She's been a barmaid, a welfare mother, a waitress, a magazine editor, a, a medical transcriber, and other things. She scored a literary fellowship from the National Endowment for the Arts in 1981, and right now she's on a Guggenheim Fellowship in Poetry. Please welcome Wanda Coleman. Against this night, cold, empty room as wide as my throat, eases, flows, river a mocha memory from Aunt Aura's kitchen. She made it in the Big Ten percolator and poured the brew into thick, white, fist-sized mugs and put lots of sugar and milk in it for me and the other kids who loved it better than chocolate. And the neighbor woman used to tell her and us it wasn't good for young colored children to drink. It made you get blacker and blacker. This is a series of six poems. I call this a jump rope sociology. You know, you jump, you jump rope to them. And they're traditional rhythms. And I call them nigger rhythm rhymes from the blues part of town. Sweet Daddy Long Dick tried to make me turn a trick. I turned him in. He's doing ten. Now ain't I slick? <laughs> Johnny Johnny loved me so. He said he'd never let me go. He said he'd always be my man. He said he'd always As understand. Many of you no doubt I caught him fucking up on me. This the is a very I had BD. special I and historic night knife. Now I'm doing five to life. in the history of show business <laughs> and in the almost legendary life Martha of Martha went to church on Sunday. His final nightclub performance. On Monday. Sold a little dope on Tuesday. I have seen, and many of you have seen, Dick Gregory. Smoked a little grass. On Thursday, a decade and a half ago, on Friday, on the opened the nightclub doors for so many of his fellow comedians. And now tonight, after this performance, he closes that door behind himself. And I think that a telegram from another close friend, Steve Jaffe, says it very well. No man has given more, asked less, or been more needed. A decade and a half of wit, insight, knowledge, and entertainment was your gift to us. As you go on to other service, we thank you and dedicate ourselves to returning your gifts in kind to your chosen beneficiary, mankind. And so tonight, 
August 5th at 12.11 here at Paul's Mall, United Artists proudly presents the one and only Dick Gregory. Like to say thank you very much, and uh, <clears throat> I really picked a good time to quit nightclubs, and you probably won't miss me at all, because <coughs> with all them clowns in the White House, they'll keep you laughing for years to come. That's <laughs> nice to be in Boston. I uh, this is a nice place to uh, Boston, Massachusetts, to close out a uh, a social phase of my career because uh, do you realize you folks in Boston, Massachusetts, you, this was, you was the only state in the union that voted for McGovern? <laughs> you realize you have the distinction of saying to the other 49 states, we told you. <laughs> of course, I guess black folks was pretty cool too because he didn't win Washington, D.C. And it was more important for him to win Washington, D.C. than the state of
Thank you. 
Well, not since the dawn of motoring has this sound been heard near the fabled rock of Gibraltar. An enlightened governor, Sir Reginald Buller Cowley, initiated the first Grand Prix du Rock in 1906. But perhaps his enthusiasm overrode his sense of the practical, since in the very first lap, D'Ambrosio on the 750 horsepower 22.1 liter three-cylinder Bolzano, hot favorite in the voiturette class, missed the corner near the Methodist Chapel and motored gently into the water. He was soon joined by some of the competitors in the larger cars, Walter Freeston, later Lord Gunnett, on the Doubleday Squires, Capolavoro on the 73-liter La Merveilleuse, Farn Schlitzenberg to Braunhof on the little 42-liter Valhalla, Prince Pazzo Delazillo on the quaint SAAECVB, standing for Société Anonyme des Anciens Établissements des Constructeurs de Voitures en Bois, with its revolutionary wooden engine, and the Duke of Hesse plus Hesse driving as a passenger with his chauffeur at the wheel and a masked lady by his side in the 100-liter Pomeraner. The only other competitor left in the race, Roger Knut, was disqualified for soliciting aid in pushing his 1,000-horsepower Navajo mobile, built incidentally in Tucson, after his engine stalled as he swerved to avoid a monkey which had strayed from the rock to watch the race. There was no outright winner on this occasion, and the harbor could not be used for shipping until the autumn of 1909. Students of history will know that British foreign policy inclined to be conciliatory during the period in which the hulks of racing cars blocked the harbor, but that with the raising of the Pomeraner, which later became the sloop HMS Incorrigible, the British got tough again. Sir Reginald Bullock Cowley wrote his memoirs in prison, One Man's Folly, which is, of course, as everyone knows, a classic of automobilia. Now, over half a century later, another enlightened governor, Lord Weeps of Sebring, has dared to reconstitute this grand approve, and a romantic setting it is indeed for a race. The rock itself, gaunt sentinel guarding the secrets of bygone ages, stands a silent and reluctant witness to the animated scene below. Where Moor and Christian once crossed swords, now a more civilized battle is waged, and the warm southern air is filled with the fragrance of dates wafted across from the Afric shore, mingling subtly with the no less fragrant odors of rosemary, wild thyme, lavender, and gasoline.
folks, this is a Flat Black Plastic Show on MutinyRadio.fm. My baby don't have to worry. Something. I want to tell you about my baby. I'm going to tell you about I'm going to tell you about my baby every time she walks.
50s apartment house It's bleak in the 1970s sun But I still love the 50s And I still love the old world I want to keep my place in this old world Keep my place in the arcade Now we say bye-bye, old world. Gotta help the new world.
We've been invited to the premiere of Purple Rain. <laughs> well, I hope some eavesdrop on you for all the icicles you... Right now, I'm shaving. I don't shave my legs. I don't shave under my arms. I shave the ingrown brain cells off my brain. As you get older, your brain, which is like having two of you, as you get older, when you were younger, it was a friend to play with, then the co-writer of all your material. As you get older, the brain becomes a psychiatrist to help shovel handle the unbearable load. Drinking is medicine. Every hangover has its memories that have to be analyzed all day in bed. It takes supreme effort to affect any personality changes. Unbearable load. As you get older, the brain, and every step forward toward, is like a mentally retarded teenager, learning to drink from a cup again. Miles of cars and rush hour traffic line my soul, and every glance I cast reels in a fish of infidelity. Thanks. I don't know. I sure am glad all this stuff is coming out about them bugging folks' phone and mugging folks and stealing stuff. Yeah, that's right. I'm glad it's coming out. Yeah. I uh, <clears throat> was on television. And I tried to explain on this show, it's a talk show, you know, that I don't know why the government bugs my phone, right? Oh, this cat got upset. Mr. Gregory, I had to fire you to come on nationwide television accusing the United States government of bugging your phone. What evidence do you have? Say, evidence is my phone. In order to accuse the United States government of bugging your phone, you have to have concrete evidence. When did you find out your phone was bugged? I said, one night, I got ready to call my brother and picked up the phone. He was already on the line. <laughs> and he ain't got no telephone. <laughs> no, the cat told me, that's not enough evidence to accuse the United States government of bugging your phone on nationwide television. You have to have concrete evidence. Now, how do you know your phone's bugged? I said, I know my phone's bugged. Anytime a black cat in America can own Bell Telephone $12,000 and they don't cut the phone off, <laughs> it's tapped. <laughs> y'all see them letters I get from the phone company once a month. Dear Mr. Gregory, y'all care to pay anything on the bill this year? <laughs> you realize every government agency bugs my phone? Every government agency bugs my phone. CIA, the FBI, Army Intelligence, the state of Illinois, the city of Chicago. I even got a local peon sheriff deputies running around my bushes with tape recorders. <laughs> had a cat came by my house when they said, hey man, you got bushes look just like feet. <laughs> I said, I got some bushes I'm gonna cut one day too. <laughs> And I don't understand why all these government agencies bug my phone. I don't know nothing. I'm not into nothing. Man, I'm so out of it. Sometimes I pick up the phone and ask the cat down the basement on tap. Anything going on tonight? <laughs> it really upsets my lawyers. They want to go to federal court and get an injunction to get it done. Man, leave it on. Anytime somebody's bugging your phone and you know they're bugging it, you can have more fun with them than they can have with you. <laughs> Yeah, after this show is over, I'm going to the hotel and call my wife. When she pick up the phone, I'm read the alphabets off to her backwards. <laughs> it might sound funny to you. They'd be up all night trying to crack that code. <laughs> I like to serve. Oh, nuts. 
Okay, your serve. One here. Oh, you serve, excuse me. Right. One all. One two. Serve. 